Welcome to the third episode of this year's Life in Digital podcast series hosted by Ed Steer. Today we're joined by Simon Gorshow, CEO of Adnami, to talk about the importance of the creative in ad campaigns. With new technologies, platforms and opportunities to reach consumers emerging at almost breakneck speeds, has the focus on the importance of delivering engaging creative been forgotten along the way? Hi and welcome to the Life in Digital podcast series. Um, I'm here today with Simon Gulshow from Adnami. Really looking forward to today, Simon, and learning all about kind of um, rich media and high impact uh, creative. Um, but yeah, over to you. It'd be great to learn a bit about yourself um, and Adnami. Just jumping, jumping straight in. Yeah. Good morning, Ed, and thanks for having me. I'm very honoured. Um, yeah, but I, I'm Simon, and I'm the uh, the CEO of Adnami. Uh, we are we are a Danish tech vendor based in based in Copenhagen, and we uh, we specialize in in uh, developing high impact formats, uh, and we standardize formats across publishers and make make sure the publishers and agencies can trade high impact inventory programmatically. That's really it in a nutshell. I've been uh, been in the industry for, for a bit over a decade and always knew that I that I wanted to start something at my, on my own at some point. And Anami was a great opportunity two or three years ago. So, uh, and it turned out to be to be a good decision. What do you think is the role of high impact creative and high impact advertising now and you know over over the next few years? I think there are, there, from my perspective, I can see three major trends. That's uh, mm-hmm. that everyone is talking about in the in the market, and it's it's data. Data isn't going isn't going to go away. Nope. Um, and uh, on the same, uh, almost in the same sentence, you can say so. There is cookie-less advertising. How do you how do we go about that? And uh, then I think there is creative, um, not just high impact advertising, but creative uh, in itself, I think is, uh, is becoming more and more important and something that's more and more on people's, uh, on top of people's minds. Um, and that is being fueled by the challenges that, uh, that we see around the, the data uh, space uh, and the, the tools that, uh, that are to an extent being taken away from us um, to, to de- deliver effective advertising. So or driven by sort of driven by data privacy laws and and, and cookie, cookie yeah yeah, yeah. Kind of, browsers yeah. and GDPR and and, mm. and the rest of it and just the complexity of of that whole space um, and I think it's it's a interesting uh, or almost uh, close to bizarre to to think about that for the last 10, 15 years we've all been uh, sitting with our with our heads uh, in inside a DSP or an SSP or a DMP or an ad server or, uh, working with algorithms and uh, uh, predictive audiences or bidding protocols, um, studying that space. While, while it's really still, and it has been for all of that time, been the creative that is, that is the by far biggest contributor to driving sales coming out of advertising. It's been like that forever and it still is. Um, no matter how sophisticated data strategies you can you can put together, it still comes down to the creative for for the lion's share of it. And I think that is uh, is something that is coming back to people's minds that we you really can't um, you can't even the best media plan cannot save a bad creative. Yeah, and even the best data strategy cannot save a bad creative. It starts with that, and then you you add the other layers after. Um, but I think the creative has been to to some extent 
been forgotten a little bit. It's it's just been reduced to being a call to action and a, and a 300 by 250 image uh, or an image and a CTA squeezed into very little very little squares. Um, and it doesn't give uh, give just to uh, to the potential of creative or just to all of those uh, very talented creative agencies uh, out there. Do you think, I guess it's just um, of the nature of, of, of how tech evolved and display became a performance channel and it's kind of not traditionally been designed to be a performance channel. It's been a you know, very much a brand brand channel. I think I think over time, it's, I don't know if it was, uh, I'm not that old, but maybe it was designed <laughs> to be a brand channel uh, in the beginning uh, of the internet's history. I, no, I actually don't think it was. Uh, maybe it was thought in that way, but it maybe never really was. Uh, yeah. I think the big branding budgets are still going to TV and outdoor and radio, which is giving a better a better canvas for, for mm-hmm. displaying a creative message. And digital advertising, I think, as you say, has been reduced to being a performance, performance channel. Uh, and that's a shame because it can do so much more. I read an article a month back or so advising or con- concluding that about 60% of, uh, of the budget on a media plan should be allocated to upper funnel activities. So branding activities. Uh, yeah. But I don't think that, uh, I don't think many media planners are, are, are planning in that way when they, when, if they look at their, uh, at their digital plans, maybe from an overall media plan point of view, they do, but, but I don't think if you isolate it to digital. And especially yeah. now with the, with the pandemic and changing consumer habits, where where the eyeballs are shifting from from outdoor and TV and print, especially into digital, it just becomes so much more important that you that you make up for that in your digital media planning, that you make sure yeah. that you that you do plan for upper funnel brand activities uh, in digital as well. And High Impact is a tool for that, but there are many others. If it's okay to talk about Adnami, what 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 sort of role did Adnami play? For publishers when it comes to giving them the ability to provide um, brands with better creative experiences? End of the day, like it's, it's actually very simple. It just gives them a, a richer product to sell. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a more compelling, intuitively more compelling ad product to sell from uh, compared to standard display. Uh, you can say, well, they've, they've been selling skins and scrollers for, for the last 10 years, so it's not really a new thing. Yeah. But, but as an industry, if you look at IAB as a as a trade organization, and you compare all digital media properties or news publishers with, for example, the social platforms, the social platforms have done a very good job at innovating on formats. Uh, yeah. Where where I don't think the rest of the digital ad space has done equally as good job. Um, and what we are doing is to innovate in, in that space. One of the, one of the challenges of, of, uh, of high impact and brand advertising in digital has been that it's, uh, it's very hard to create a standard across publishers because all, mm-hmm. all publisher websites or environments have been designed in different ways. They have different divs on the site. They have different widths of the content. They have uh, yeah, navigation bars. And it's, it's just, there are just as many website designs as their websites. Um, and that makes it, uh, makes it tricky because high impact advertising cannot be squeezed into a 300 and 250 ad unit by 250 yeah. ad unit. It's, it's the opposite. We, we sort of uh, blend in with the content. We integrate it with the content um, in a different way. We break out of that iframe. And that's made it a, that has meant that publishers have had their own designs, their own templates for mm-hmm. all these high impact formats. And advertisers would have to would have to buy into those individual publishers' templates. Uh, 
meaning that they would have to produce one creative per publisher. Uh, and it doesn't, that doesn't really scale if you are, if you are a media, media, media buyer, an yeah. advertiser, an agency, or you're sitting in a trading desk. And it's too expensive on the, on the creative cost, uh, the cost of production. So what we're doing is that we're standardizing our, our templates across publishers, making it very easy for, for an advertiser or an agency to buy into that certified uh, uh, delivery infrastructure. Um, yeah. But we don't, I think what's, what sets us apart from, uh, from other uh, known vendors or partners, uh, companies in the space is that we don't sell media. We only act as that, as that tech vendor. And we're trying to facilitate the trade uh, between the buyers and the sellers. But we see ourselves as delivering that infrastructure of, uh, of a high impact uh, uh, standard. Yes, and as a tech and as a SaaS play. Yeah. What opportunities do you think are created for, for marketers in brands who are, yeah, who, who, who are trying to stand out in a competitive environment with, with kind of yeah, high, high impact formats? We we have as a no you said the word canvas before we we have as a tagline uh, in Adnami that uh, a great creative deserves a great canvas. Yes, and I think I think that is an opportunity for it's an opportunity that we deliver for advertisers. We just we basically deliver that creator canvas. We're not a creative a creative studio. We don't we don't really build the creative the rich media part. We just deliver the formats. Yeah. Um, and I think it just it just makes the creative come uh, come more alive. It's not necessarily about features or uh, or those uh, once a year huge creative can uh, uh, award winning <laughs> executions. Yeah, uh, it's it that's that's great as well. But that's not what uh, is the bread and butter for, for not for advertisers or not for publishers or agencies either, right? It's it's the day to day things, and. Um, I think High Impact delivers a, yeah, an opportunity to do to deliver and execute much more powerful uh, brand advertising campaigns, just because it makes the creative come alive. The, the 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 images and the video assets that we see in our formats just it's, it just gives a completely different consumer experience compared to trying to squeeze that into a into a yeah three twenty three twenty unit. Yeah. Um, but then the other benefits that are, are that we give working with an army uh, as an advertiser, you get to buy uh, from publisher direct sources. So you choose the publishers you want to work with and you trade directly with them. The media revenue, the revenue media spend doesn't flow through an army. Uh, so you have full control uh, and transparency over your media buy. Uh, and, and we're not, you, you can also uh, you can buy it uh, from your existing ad tech stack. We don't introduce an USSP or DSP. I don't think anyone wants that. No. Uh, tend to tend to get <laughs> they're happy with the Sanders and the trade desks and the ad forms and the Googles. Yeah. Um, I don't think the world needs another DSP or SSP. So in, in that perspective, we, we see ourselves as being uh, invisible. We, that's almost yeah, like a, a mission for us. We, we just we see ourselves as a feature on top of those uh, those platforms and buying yeah integrating the stack yeah yeah um how how convergent do you think media and creative agencies might become because we we do see that kind of um like within creative agencies as an example there's a lot more data people and within media agencies we're starting to see a lot more creative people when it comes to like media planning coupled with creative do you think those spaces 
or agencies can become more convergent? I, I definitely think they, they can, and I think they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity in, in that space. Um, uh, thinking about our own business, it, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense uh, that we are more integrated with the media, with the media planning side. But then yeah. on the other hand, like we, we don't want to partner with one specific, uh, for example, agency holding group. We want to be able to work with all of them. But yeah, it, it makes complete sense from the whole, the whole media, media planning, but also creative uh, planning uh, perspective that you think when you're, when you're building out your creative, you want to know what formats they are, they're going into. Yeah. Uh, and I've, we have some conversations with uh, a holding group agency there when they have a big in-house uh, creative agency. But when they have a, a media plan or they, they, their banner package is now consisting of, uh, of uh, yeah, typical, typical standard, standard banners, but where they need to now, we're now working with them on, on making sure that high impact formats are always default on that media banner package, because often those, those uh, planning decisions of what media to buy and what formats to buy are already made from a creative agency point of view when they're building right. other creatives because you, could, you can't necessarily fit in all assets into uh, into all formats so it's important to think uh, think about that from the very beginning i think um the consumers will drive this in terms of the experience that people want online you know, the, you know mobile devices 5g internet there's such an amazing opportunity to deliver um richer experiences online and that really helps um people well not necessarily people understand advertising and the role it plays in you know effectively a free internet but um the more consumers um feel comfortable with advertising online that's what it boils down to is uh is to deliver better user experiences and better better return for publishers and brands uh, but the user experience comes first if it's a, yeah. if it's a crappy user experience then it doesn't work for anyone and I, and, I, and i think more quality over quantity is uh is good for everyone. I'd rather mm-hmm. see one big, beautiful, well-designed ad that is uh, that makes sense and is relevant for me than uh, than I would see fifteen irrelevant, small, ugly, <laughs> ugly ads uh, tearing up the website experience. And as we know, impact-wise and engagement-wise, we know what what we know what wins. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. It's it's undeniable what wins. Mm-hmm. The, the next few years, what do you think is in store across um, ad tech and, and, and digital advertising? What, what do you think we'll see as key key themes over the next few years? I think we a lot of agencies will and advertisers will look into uh, delivering better creative or telling a richer story through digital. I think digital is going to become more. And it, that's not. I don't need a crystal ball to say that, right? Digital is yeah. just becoming more and more important. So. You need to follow the eyeballs to get uh, yeah, to get your brand message out there and to get the reach you need in front of the right right people. And then I, I think uh, back to what I said before. I think branding in digital, brand advertising in digital, will become more important. And there are there are going to be new initiatives like podcasters, a super a super exciting space as well that is growing at a at a, at a yeah, very fast pace. Yeah, audio has become amazing. Yeah, um, and I think. Brand advertising and high impact advertising in, in display is a, is another uh, category that, that has a lot of potential that's that's still not been unlocked. I'm always intrigued to hear how um, how people have found the last um, the last year and for Adnami and for you personally, growing the business and launching new offices um, around the world and doing all of this remotely. How's it how's it been? 
Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't. I'm so fed up with it. I just uh, <laughs> now I'm I'm in the office today, uh, which which feels really good. I haven't been here for for almost two months. Yeah. Um, and I'm here because we're moving office, so there's a lot of practical things that we need to sort out. Are you moving into a new space? Yeah. Yes, we've moved into a new space. Oh, great. Um, but we've onboarded uh, uh, seven people since January for, uh, remotely. And yeah. I think for a startup where we don't have everything, processes and documentation, everything is not written down. Uh, we don't have a, an HR team that makes the that makes sure that that everyone has a has the perfect start with onboarding uh, yeah onboarding yeah uh, flows and um so i think that's that's been difficult yeah but we i think we, it's we've we've learned a lot uh, we just spend a lot of time on video calls we do a lot of yeah. walks we'd walk walk around the city uh, and talk to each other instead yeah but i i definitely prefer prefer the old way of uh, being able to speak over over the desk in an office or around the coffee machine or have a have an old school meeting <laughs> yeah i think the building culture is so so key and for people's yeah. for people's well-being i really like the idea of walking walking and talking are there any pros do you think in terms of like um we've learned to work remotely do you think there'll be any 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 upsides yes absolutely i think uh, i think we've all figured out that in, for, for some uh, tasks, tasks. It's more, it's more productive to to work from home. You can, yeah. Like my own point of view, I feel like I can sometimes. If I really need to concentrate about something, then I, I do that better at home. I'm often disturbed when I'm in the office, which is sort of ironic. We sh- we shouldn't be. You know, we have work spaces so that people can concentrate and <laughs> and be productive. I mean, that's that's one of the one of the positives. Another is that I think the world has become smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone has, has figured out that really you don't you don't need to meet up in person to to have a qualified meeting uh, you don't need to go to the pub or to have a lunch with someone i don't need to fly to london uh, or hamburg uh, two days a week uh, mm. video conferencing is actually really good and i think 12 months ago that was not the perception like it, it, it you had to have a if you were serious about a meeting you would need to show up yeah you fly in yeah yeah but it's of course uh, it's difficult to. Uh, we have all had to learn the trade of uh, of burning through uh, through a screen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's. I think it. As I said, it makes the world smaller. We like, we can see that we can we can start up conversations all around the world, which we mentally didn't think that we would be able to twelve months ago. So yeah, that's, yeah, I, that's I, a positive. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think. I think. Um, almost like business meetings will happen a lot more on video because screen sharing and um, presenting is actually very, very effective, but the relationship side of it is really in person. So I wonder if we'll do like, let's get down to business on video and, and make sure there's a, you know, a strong reason to talk. And once there's that level of, we can help each other, then the face-to-face just becomes just purely about the, not, not purely about the social side of it, but the face-to-face bit is, is, is kind of the social relation, relationship element of, um, of, of kind of um, the, the business relationships. And what, what, about, yeah. um, what about hiring people you've never met and uh, people joining the company you've never met in person? How, how's that been? I, I don't think that's as scary, really. I think, I think that, I think you, you, I have a really good feeling about the people that we've hired. You just make, maybe you do a little bit, you make sure that you have one or two extra rounds of interviews. You, you make sure to see, see the candidate twice or, 
you you maybe pull a few extra references to um, to be 100 percent sure uh, but yeah but no, i think i think that totally works um yeah me, but, me, but me it, too but it's hard to build a culture uh in a company over over zoom over teams i think the that's just not the same. I've, I've considered a few times to, if I should buy people uh, wine tasting menu or gin tonic uh, setups uh, for, for a Friday bar, but it just gets a little bit weird, right? It's not, it's a fun gimmick, but then you sit there with the, with the anti, uh, anti-climax uh, being half drunk alone in your, in your kitchen <laughs> and, you, and you turn off the call. Um, but that part is just uh, uh, a video conference doesn't replace uh, normal life, real life. What do you think? I think that um, it's been amazing how companies have adapted. Like we are remote onboarding seven people on Monday. Um, and a year ago, if you'd said to me that we'd be hiring people and onboarding them without seeing them in person, I would have just said that that is literally impossible <laughs> and would have not, I could my, my mind wouldn't have been able to entertain the conversation. I think productivity wise, people are being very productive. So I think lots of work is happening, but I think it's very hard to create the at the desk experiences and the learning experiences and the, um, and the stuff you get done just by bumping into one another. And I feel mm. like everything's a scheduled phone call. Like I have no ad hoc phone calls with people um, or, and, and actually so many learnings happen with those ad hoc conversations. Um, and I think people will benefit a huge amount when, when, when we have those again. And I think business will happen faster, actually. Everything to roll out something really simple has to be really well planned. Otherwise, the communication gets lost. And so just doing simple things internally, I think, is, is, is tough. So I think in a roundabout way, because I talk too much, um, I think extremes are never good. So like being fully remote, in my view, is not good. I also think looking back on the old, you know, nine to five five days in the office i did it for a long time i think i did it because it's all i knew and i was okay with it but also that was pretty extreme too with um with reflection so i think the good thing from all this is everyone's learned so much and we're going to end up with a um you know a work and a life experience where we'll be in the office when we need to be we'll be at home when we need to be and actually the the, the two of those together i think are going to produce amazing results so hopefully, Simon, I'll see you in um, in London for a beer in the summer. Maybe, perhaps. I really, really hope so. It, but it looks like we're we're going to be able to travel from maybe around May. Was that the date? Yeah, mid May, mid May, perhaps. Yeah. I, uh, I I do miss a, a good English pub and a pint, a good IPA, but maybe and maybe a a conference or a trade show would also be nice if we could get to get together, do a bit, do a bit of mingling. Yeah, it's interesting to see, isn't it, with the trade shows? Um, I guess the Mexico's in September. I feel like that might come. That's probably going to come around too soon again this year. But smaller events. But I can't. I can't wait to get back to trade because um, online events. We we actually ran our first webinar last week and it went well. And I'm personally running my first webinar tomorrow. And we've got a hundred signups. So actually, we've got lots of signups for the webinar, but it's. The great thing about in-person conferences is, is just seeing loads of people who you know in one place and, 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 and properly catching up. So again, it's that sense of like webinars and virtual events are very efficient, 
but they're not very much fun. It's all really efficient. It's just not very much fun. So, you know, work, work should fundamentally be fun and enjoyable um, yeah. as well as, as well as efficient and productive and profitable. So yeah, I, I yeah. Conferences again. It'd be weird. I think to come back into that. Okay. I had a, to suddenly be around hundreds of people being in your, yeah. In your personal space. Yeah. In a personal space. Yeah. It's, I had a, an experience in the, in the office uh, about a month back, but we were six people in the office on the same day. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> it's, it's almost like we, we're way too many. It feels, it, it's almost like a disgusting, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's uh, going to be a huge amount of social anxiety. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we actually opened up like um, with people coming in through personal choice last August and September. And on the first few days, like we got up to about 30 to 40 people, but with, 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 with very safe social distancing. And, um, you know, it was all, 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 yeah, all, all, all really, um, yeah, really with people's personal choice. And, and it was great. And, and, and everyone had a, a good time. But for the first few weeks, when I was going in two, two days a week and seeing like 30, 40 people, um, I was so tired. And I, I felt like, I don't know if it was like in, it was hard to, it was just hard to talk to people and hard to see people and there's just definitely a sense of like is this is this you know is this the right thing to be doing i can't wait to give a hug and a proper handshake yeah i know <laughs> i know and, uh, and it's in our nature like we're human beings it's in our nature to be social and exactly have, have contact yeah. it's um yes yeah we're not we're not quite robots yet all right so well, thank you so much for today i really appreciate it all right thanks thank for you your so time much. again uh, my pleasure we made it. have a good we day did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you soon. Bye. Yeah, bye. A big thank you to Simon and Ed. You can find out more about the work Ed and Arme are doing by following the links in the show notes or via the Life and Digital Hub via our website. Alongside Ed's monthly insights into leaders in the digital sector and the new technology emerging, we will be hosting a series of interviews focusing on everything from diversity and inclusion to unpacking biases and hiring and much more. Please listen out for those which we'll be releasing really soon. See you next time for another episode of Life in Digital. Mm-hmm.